Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about sarcoidosis. If you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash sarcoidosis or in the respiratory section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. Let's get straight into it. Sarcoidosis is a granulomatous inflammatory condition. Granulomas are nodules of inflammation that are full of macrophages. The cause of these granulomas developing is unknown, so it's not clear why people with sarcoidosis develop these granulomas. It's usually associated with chest symptoms, but it also has multiple extrapulmonary manifestations, such as erythema nodosum and lymphadenopathy. Symptoms can vary dramatically and patients can be completely asymptomatic in up to 50% of cases to having severe and life-threatening signs and symptoms. There are two spikes in incidence in people developing sarcoidosis. One is in young adulthood and the second one is around age 60. Women are affected more often than men and it occurs more frequently in black people compared to other ethnic groups. A bit of a tom tip regarding spotting sarcoidosis in your exams. The typical MCQ exam patient is a 20 to 40 year old black female patient presenting with a dry cough and shortness of breath. They might have nodules on their shins, which suggest erythema nodosum. If somebody presents in your MCQ exams like this, think about sarcoidosis. Let's talk about the organs that are affected in sarcoidosis. And really it can affect almost any organ in the body. The most commonly affected organs are the lungs, so sarcoidosis is usually managed by respiratory physicians. And the lungs are affected in over 90% of patients with sarcoidosis. In the lungs it causes mediastinal lymphadenopathy, so abnormally large nymph nodes in the mediastinum. It causes pulmonary fibrosis and pulmonary nodules. Then there's systemic symptoms that can occur in sarcoidosis and this is things like fever, fatigue and weight loss. The liver can be affected in around 20% of people and it causes liver nodules, liver cirrhosis and it can cause cholestasis or the slowing of bile through the bile ducts. The eyes are affected in about 20% of people and it can cause uveitis, conjunctivitis and it can cause optic neuritis, which is normally associated with MS. The skin can be affected in around 15% of people. There's two typical skin changes. The first is erythema nodosum, and this is where tender red nodules appear on the shins, just underneath the skin in the subcutaneous fat. And this is really caused by inflammation of the subcutaneous fat. The second key skin changes is something called lupus perneo and this is where you get raised purple coloured skin lesions that usually affect the tip of the nose or across the cheeks. And then the other skin condition that can develop is granulomas that appear in scar tissue. The heart is affected in about 5% of people and it can cause a bundle branch block, heart block or the granulomas and inflammation can affect the myocardial muscle, which can lead to heart failure. The kidneys are affected in about 5% of people, and this causes kidney stones due to the hypercalcemia, nephrocalcinosis, which is calcium deposits in the kidneys, and interstitial nephritis. 
The central nervous system can be affected in about 5% of people. So people can develop nodules in the central nervous system, such as in the brain. There can be pituitary involvement that can lead to diabetes insipidus. And patients can develop encephalopathy due to the inflammation. The peripheral nervous system can be affected in about 5% of patients. And it can cause a Bell's palsy or a mononeuritis multiplex where a single nerve is affected. The bones can be affected in about 2% of people causing arthralgia, arthritis and it can affect the muscles as well causing myopathy. The next thing to talk about is something called Lofgren syndrome and this is a specific presentation in sarcoidosis and it classically has the characteristic triad of erythema nodosum, bilateral hyalolymphadenopathy and polyarthralgia with joint pain in multiple joints. So you can see the presentation of sarcoidosis can be very variable and can be a bit non-specific and unclear. So we need to talk about the differential diagnosis of these sort of symptoms like a cough, lymphadenopathy, arthralgia, systemic symptoms like fever and so on. So the key differentials that you need to think about are things like tuberculosis, lymphoma, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, HIV, toxoplasmosis and histoplasmosis. So if you're suspecting sarcoidosis, how do you go about investigating and trying to establish a diagnosis? Firstly, you can do some blood tests. And a key blood test to remember is the serum ACE. Remember, this is angiotensin-converting enzyme, and that's raised in sarcoidosis. And this is often used as a screening test. Checking a serum calcium can be useful, as sarcoidosis often causes a raised calcium level, or what we call a hypercalcemia. It's possible to check soluble interleukin-2 receptors, and this can be raised in sarcoidosis. Other inflammatory markers such as CRP and immunoglobulins can also be raised. Then we move on to imaging. It's worth performing a chest x-ray, which can show hyalolymphadenopathy. And you're probably going to want to do a chest x-ray anyway for somebody presenting with a lot of respiratory symptoms such as shortness of breath. A high-resolution CT of the chest can show the hyalolymphadenopathy in more detail and will show up pulmonary nodules. MRI can check for central nervous system involvement. And a PET scan can show active areas of inflammation and show you the different areas that are affected in the condition. Histology is the gold standard way of diagnosing sarcoidosis. So we need to get a biopsy of some of the area that's affected by the sarcoidosis. If it's affecting the skin, such as in lupus perneo or in erythema nodosum, you can do a biopsy of the skin. Or you can do a bronchoscopy with an ultrasound guided biopsy of the mediastinal lymph nodes. And you need to remember for your exam, the histology shows a characteristic change of non-caseating granulomas with epithelioid cells. So if you see this on histology in your exam, think about sarcoidosis. We would do some tests just to check for other organ involvement. So check the eusinase for kidney involvement, a urine dipstick or a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio to look for proteinuria, which would indicate some nephritis, LFTs to look for liver involvement, an ophthalmology review is worth performing to check for eye involvement, an ECG and echocardiogram for heart involvement, 
and an ultrasound of the abdomen to look for liver and kidney involvement? What's the management? How do we treat patients with sarcoidosis? Well, no treatment is often considered as first line in patients with no or mild symptoms as the condition often resolves spontaneously without any management. Oral steroids are usually the first line treatment if it's required and these are given for between 6 and 24 months. So quite a long course of oral steroids. So patients should be given bisphosphonates to protect their bones whilst they're on the long-term steroids. Second line options are immunosuppressants like methotrexate or azathioprine and rarely in very severe pulmonary disease lung transplant might be required. Let's talk about the prognosis in a patient who develops sarcoidosis. Well, sarcoidosis will spontaneously resolve within six months in around 60% of patients. In a small number of patients, it progresses to pulmonary fibrosis and pulmonary hypertension, and they potentially require a lung transplant. When patients die from sarcoidosis, this is usually because it affects the heart and causes fatal arrhythmias, or it affects the central nervous system. So thanks for listening to this episode on sarcoidosis. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your colleagues and help them with their revision too. And if you'd like to help me out, please leave me a rating or review on iTunes or whichever podcast app you use. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on obstructive sleep apnea.